when those times come, when they're able to live on their own and to work and to smile, for me, man, there's a level of healing there. Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Episode six. That's right. How we doing? I think we're going strong, Eric. We're hearing back from listeners and opening up new doors, and it's y- yes. been a good journey so far. Tony, you were on Fresh Hope for Mental Health. Hey, I, I, I heard you, Pastor Brad Hayes, and uh, we talked about my story and some of the parallels. He also was a pastor diagnosed in 1995, and we had a lot of connections. Your, your Psalm 37 was a major connection point between the two of you. It's delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of his heart. Yeah. It was in my book, and then also in his ordination. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Maybe Brad, come on the show sometime? I hope so, Brad, if you're listening. If not, we'll still invite you to the show. Yeah. Brad, thank you. We, we really appreciate yes. the, uh, the exposure. Yeah. So, uh, it is May, and it's Mental Health Month. It is, Eric, and the hashtag is Cure Stigma. Hashtag Cure Stigma right. from NAMI. Yeah. Mental Health Month has been going since 1949. Long time we've had uh, mental health. I was surprised by that. You yeah. know, the, the color for Mental Health Month, I'm not sure where it comes from, but it's like kind of a lime green Interesting. I've been thinking about getting just a green flag uh-huh. from, from my yard. I've got a really nice flagpole. I've got two spots. So there's like the American flag, but then there's like the other flag. I wonder if you would put NAMI on it. What would you put on a green flag? Nothing. Just a green flag. It would just be a green flag. Huh. Why not? They would think you're a NASCAR fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not like a checkered flag. Okay, true. Yeah. Yeah. Yield big yellow flag i've thought actually for a while about having a pirate flag because my kids went to parkside parkside pirates i thought it'd be kind of cool to like have the american flag then but they no longer go there uh well not not much longer (laughs) oh they are there okay i could have been in early like four years ago isaac's a parkside pirate not there no your oldest she's a uh, spartan columbus north yes yep but yeah, hashtag cure stigma. That's NAMI. NAMI, I think, really tries to drive culture around this sort of thing. And uh, certainly stigma has become a big initiative for them. And uh, appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate the work NAMI. Go to um, like the NAMI website, and there's a lot of different ways you can get involved. And I think that's NAMI.org. If I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. N-A-M-I. Yeah. 
It is May. It is spring. And Eric and I were talking about one thing that happens for us in the spring, and that's uh, uh, going a bit manic or hypomanic. Um, often people talk about seasonal affective disorder in terms of getting depressed in the winter with uh, fewer hours of light. Uh, there's also an associated condition that comes in the spring. Yeah. At least that's what we've found. It's not something people talk about. And, and we're not here talking about a, a diagnosis of like seasonal affective disorder in spring being the opposite of what we hear about in the fall. Yeah. But I think we both kind of experienced a lot of energy right. this time of year. I think a lot of people do. It's exciting. Uh-huh. Good time to get out in your garden. You uh, doing a little gardening? Well, you know, I was thinking about this morning. You know, it's like 9 a.m. I feel like I'm already behind for the weekend. I haven't used my time wisely from... Uh time i woke up 7 30 to 9 i'm like i should not be thinking this way like why why am i yeah when i'm kind of in, in that space like a hypomanic space it's mm -hmm. like i'm way behind yeah i just i gotta catch up that's not pleasant no it's not and, and i'm out there and getting ready to mulch the yard and you know trying to get those kind of tufts of grass up and i'm just going wild in my yard and when, then I start, when is this just this morning and I start digging up roots. Then I'm like, I think I'm digging roots of this plant right here. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Like, why? Just this, like, getting in the dirt. There's a root. Pulling them up. Got my gloves on. Mm, mm, mm. Cutting it there. <laughs> and, and seriously, I had to stop. I'm like, I need to stop. I need to just go pray. Yes. Prepare for this interview. Why am I doing this? Right. I'm not behind. I'm just energetic uh -huh. yeah, it's, here it, in the spring. That's one thing I've found myself is that when we're depressed, we fall behind so much. So when we're feeling better, it's like I've got to get ahead for, for the next depression that hits. It happens. Well, let's go with the show. Mark Tyke. Mark Tyke. Here we go. All right, Revealing Voices, Mark Tyke is uh, here at Studio E. Uh, Pastor Mark Tyke is from St. Peter's Lutheran Church, where um, I've had a number of really great experiences uh, there over the years. And I really think the first time I met you, Mark, was at an MLK Junior service, mm -hmm. and that was probably seven or eight years ago. And I, I had never been in a... Um, kind of African-American worship service before mm -hmm. until I was uh, in your church. Most people at St. Peter's never had either. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great night. It was a great experience. Right. We and loved then it. Here this year, uh, you were at Calvary right. here in town, historic African-American church preaching. Yeah, it's a great church. Yeah, that was for the Martin Luther King Day celebration. Uh, scholarship service. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, when I go to that church, I feel like I'm worth a million dollars. They just have a way of embracing and welcoming and letting you know that, that you matter. So it was a great experience for me. Yes. So I was fortunate to meet Mark first when I spoke about my book, Delight and Disorder. He and his wife, Debbie, came to hear the presentation we did at the library. And Mark, it's been a joy to meet you and spend time together with you in the preceding years. Well, it was a great experience for us, Tony. We were really, uh, I think in many ways, uh, unaware, uninformed about a lot of the world of mental health and mental illness. 
and myself being a pastor and coming to listen to a pastor speak about his journey and all of that made it very real for me. So uh, we benefited from that night, and we have uh, benefited from you and, and your ministry uh, since that time as well. It's good to be with you tonight. Yeah, I'm glad you're with us. We uh, are grateful for what you're doing at St. Peter's and the people there. I met with a group of uh, deacons, I think it was once, and uh, it sounds like you've got a good foundation for pastoral and caring Christian ministry. We've got a lot of great people on board, not only on staff and our congregation who have a caring heart. And talking about uh, the whole issue and the whole world of, of mental health and those who wrestle with mental illness, uh, we have a lot of opportunities to do that as well. And we want to we do that even better than we are right now. Mm -hmm. So St. Peter's has hosted a couple NAMI FaithNet conferences, and St. Peter's also has uh, Celebrate Recovery programs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and intensive outpatient programs run through the church. We do. Uh, that's a great support for mental health, Mark. We really appreciate yeah. that. Well, we found, you know, doing that, that it really uh, meets a need for our community, not just our congregation. We have some congregational members who participate in our Celebrate Recovery group, as well as intensive outpatient program, but it's been a great way to reach out to folks in the community and to let them know that um, they are welcome within the church as well. I think some folks who maybe don't have a, a close or personal or intimate relationship with the church maybe feel like they're not welcome. Um, we want people to know, and I think other churches do too, um, that everybody's welcome, um, that we have a God whose arms are open to all of us, uh, a God who has given life and breath to all of us, a God who knows um, everything that all of us deal with and wrestle with in life, and who wants to be there to put his arms around us and walk mm -hmm. alongside of us. So for us, it's been a blessing, not only for those of our congregation who've benefited, but I think for also for folks in the community. Now, Mark, I, I know you're a, a humble fellow, but the reality is your church is already doing some amazing things. I think a lot of churches would, in a community, look to you all as leaders really on the mm -hmm. edge of doing the counseling work that many churches are aspiring to both here in Columbus and throughout the country. So uh, I guess going back to before you had uh, intensive outpatient or celebrate mm -hmm. recovery, what got you to where you are today. Yeah. You're already in a really strong place. Well, thank you. I think one of the advantages that we have is that we have, um, comparatively speaking, a significant um, size congregation. And there are some churches that have the heart and the desire and the interest, but they don't have the resources to be able to do those kinds of things. And, and fortunately, um, we have some resources that aren't available um, to others. Mm -hmm. So when our lives are touched by loved ones who are wrestling with those things, we become much more compassionate. And, and I will say, as I've seen people uh, who matter to me and, and who I love wrestle with that, I think it really fans the flame for me. Yes. And so it's kind of life experience that really pushes us, pushes me in that direction. Let's share a little bit about your story. And as a child, as your early faith development, who was inspiring for you? You know, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my mom and dad are both believers. Uh, my grandparents on both sides. <clears throat> I had a lot of good examples, a lot of good role models. Um, I also uh, grew up in uh, what I think was a great church, and I had a great pastor. Uh, I never would have in a million years thought I would be a pastor. That was not on my radar. <laughs> it wasn't until I got to college that the thought entered my mind. 
Um, and even when I shared with some of my close friends, I was thinking about becoming a pastor. They kind of laughed at me, like, are you kidding me? And, um, you know, my halo didn't shine quite so brightly <laughs> in those days as it does now. <laughs> and the only reason it shines brightly now is because my hair is white. I was and just going to say. Really, yeah. That's the only reason. But the fact He's is... He's told that joke before. Uh, well, it's true. <laughs> you know, it's, but not to our listeners. It's, it's, right, right. it's true. So, but I had, a, I had a pastor who was just a great example. And even though I never thought I'd be a pastor, uh, he had a significant influence on me. I grew up with a pastor who just was so passionate about other people coming to know uh, the same Jesus who he'd come to know. You know, this, this Jesus of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion, who when others want to throw stones at the woman caught in adultery said, let he who's without sin throw the first stone. I think it's kind of significant. The day that I was installed to my, into my first church, I spent nine years in Davenport, Iowa, after graduating from seminary. He drove from Decatur, Illinois, our hometown, over to Davenport, about three and a half hours away. He was present for my installation, and that happened to be his day of retirement. So it's just kind wow. of a cool thing um, mm -hmm. that, you know, I began my ministry. He ended his official ministry in that way. Um, that is incredible. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and so he really had a, a huge influence on me. That's great. Yeah, and you know, I think you're right. I mean, not everyone listening, and certainly in this venue of people with with mental illness have the same experience. But, I mean, I'm of the belief having a mental illness and, and having faith, and many people that we bring on to our show and pe many people I talk to is that we do offer something distinct for someone who's searching for, for answers, for some, someone who's searching for truth to, to get better in their mental health. Yeah, I, you know, even if we talk about addiction, um, think about AA that's been around for many, many, many years. And while AA um, uh, is not um, specifically Christian in nature, it's spiritual in nature. Mm -hmm. And they talk about a higher power. Um, for me, that higher power is the God who reveals himself to me in the scriptures. But um, there is a component there. And that whether one is a Jesus follower or not, I think that they can find help and benefit in the spiritual component of what AA has to offer. Um, I just naturally, because of, of who I am, I'm going to talk about um, the person of Jesus as that one to whom I look. But I, I really believe that whether one holds to the same faith that I do or not, what you're doing here and, and the resources that are available are huge. So um, take advantage of that. Regardless of what we do with in life, we need somebody to walk alongside of us. We need somebody to seek to understand us. Mm -hmm. We need somebody who's going to say, I'm for you. And I think that's what you're offering. And I think that's what the, the, the ministry of, um, of faithful friends that the two of you uh, facilitate. To me, that's about saying to those who are present, I'm f we're for you. Right. We care about you. We love you. And, and sometimes, you know, we're all going to make bad choices or we're going to misbehave, but we're for you. We're on your side. And, and so for me, that's part of what I think being a Jesus follower is because, you know, I believe he's for me. Yeah. You know, a prayer I, I've had, Mark, uh, and it really started right before Faithful Friends, has to do with in the mental health care system, there are peer recovery specialists uh -huh. where um, mental health systems are employing people with a diagnosis uh -huh. and who are willing to uh, kind of lead 
from that perspective to share mm. their strengths. Right. And I, I job shadowed and for, for a peer recovery specialist position. And I was asked during that shadow what m my strengths are. You know, how do I stay healthy? And I said, well, my, my faith is the number one thing. And it was almost like a knee-jerk reaction of, well, you can't talk about that around here. <laughs> what else uh, do you use to gain your strength and your health? I called Tony that day, and I was livid. I, I don't express anger very often, but I, I think on that phone that day, I was like, we have got to start having something along the lines of, peer recovery from a faith perspective where that strength in faith is what we are leading with, what we're encouraging. And, and certainly an unanswered prayer for me is having more of that kind of peer recovery movement within the church. I think, you know, as you say that, so really God was able to use uh, what was a, a very frustrating Yes. Short-term situation uh, to benefit others, and I, what you, the two of you, are doing with faithful friends is is huge. I, I, I think that I'm not able. I uh, do I at times feel anxious. Yes. Do I at times feel depressed. Yes. Um, do I have a clinical diagnosis for anxiety or depression? No. So I, I don't. I, I've not walked in your shoes. Mm-hmm. I can seek to understand, but I can't speak um, with the kind of credibility that others who have walked in similar shoes can. So I think there's great value in those who have experienced and who are living with mental health um, struggles in their own life to be able to walk alongside others, to share their life. I, I think there's great value mm -hmm. in that. And, and even, uh, you know, you talked about being frustrated with those who said, you can't talk about faith issues. I think it's okay. People need to be real. All of us need to be real when we come to the table to talk about life. So if somebody wants to say in a, at around a table, you know, I don't believe in that, that's okay to say that. Right. You know, those of us are, who are of faith aren't going to say, well, you're a bad person and how dare you and you can't say that. I, I think healing, part of the process of healing is just being real with ourselves, being real with one another, we're all in this thing together. You know, uh, that brings up an interesting question I was hoping to ask you, which is uh, a lot of folks with mental illness express anger at God, mm -hmm. at the church. If you were to hear that somehow from someone, how would you hope that you would respond? Yeah. What message would you like sure. to share? I think any kind of uh, loss leads to uh, anger, among other things. We have a God who, who loves us and cares for us. God doesn't make us robots. He doesn't program us that, that everything has to function a certain way. Mm -hmm. Because we live in a broken world, we have brokenness. And, and some people have cancer, and some people have mental illness, and some people are much more prone to addiction, and some people have you know, kidney disease. And, um, but that doesn't mean that God's punishing them. It doesn't mean that God's angry with them. The person with mental illness is not somehow more sinful than the person without mental illness. The person who dies at a very young age is not more sinful than the person who lives to be 105 years old. 
There are some things to which I don't have answers, but one thing that I'm convinced of is that God is not the one who brings those things into our lives. That's because we live in a broken world. And secondly, God loves us and wants the best for us. And, and I, I want to be able to share that with them. And they may not be in a position to hear that or ready to hear that, but it's okay to get angry. Mm-hmm. I read some of the Psalms. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, gets very, very angry with God at times. God, how come and why? And it's interesting because in some of the Psalms, you know, he's, he's like really, really chewing God out at the beginning. When he comes to the end, you know, he's praising God. But I'm convinced some of those Psalms took a long time to write. Yeah. He didn't just sit down in 15 minutes and write a Psalm. He had to work through those things. And so uh, even for me, when I find myself struggling um, with people uh, in my life who are dear to me, whom I love, who are going through very difficult times... And sometimes, you know, maybe I, I can't go to sleep because it's on my mind and I'm just weighing this down on me. Psalm 46 speaks powerfully into my life and I've, I've committed to memory. Mm-hmm. I actually did a sermon series on it a few years ago because I was feeling so overwhelmed with the struggles of a loved one. And that psalm begins with, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. And then he goes on to give some situations. Though the earth be moved, though the, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains fall into the midst of the sea. Mm. And he's saying even when, and he was describing a tsunami that actually took place in that part of the world, uh, maybe a generation before David wrote that psalm. And I think David's saying there, even when the very foundations on which I build my life are shaken, when somebody very dear to me, is diagnosed with a mental illness. And all of a sudden, their behavior is very different from what I knew before. Or when somebody else I know is wrestling with addiction. And because of that addiction, they're making decisions that they never would make if, if they were not using at the time. Yeah. When the very foundations are shaken... I know that God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I don't fear. And I just find for me sometimes just reminding myself of that allows me to sleep at night. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection on the psalm. Sure. Tony, I know you have a lot of uh, respect for the psalms and it's very much a part of your faith tradition where you worship now. Do, do you want to offer any kind of perspective on on the song well you know you said earlier about uh being real you know i think the psalms are perhaps the most consistent place where we can look to and find that that authenticity mm-hmm. and often when i meet with persons who have mental illness or who wrestle with those issues uh that's the first thing, you know, I want to offer them, especially if they're angry with God. You know, there's very few extended biblical passages or chapters or books that deal with anger with God, except the Psalms. And those are beautiful places to restore our relationship with God. I appreciate that. question 
So here in Columbus, we are really facing the opioid epidemic. We are. Uh, about a year ago, we had our first kind of big tent community meeting, mm-hmm. and a lot has happened in the past year. And Pastor Saki, I know that you have been part of that, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious about uh, the role from your faith perspective, how you've intersected with uh, you know, kind of the secular efforts going on, the you know the health side of things, mm-hmm. healthcare. Uh, we really, you know, on this show, want to bring out those connection points, and I think this would be a really nice place for you to kind of share your experience right now. When I see folks whose lives are being significantly impacted because of opioid addiction and other addictions, I know that not everybody's going to come into our church or any other church. And I know that the place to start isn't to, you know, present the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. But it's to acknowledge um, the real struggles that all of us have in different areas of life. So how do we bring together all the resources of our community? It's my opinion that if Columbus, Indiana, Bartholomew County wants to address and tackle the opioid crisis, it can do it. We've got all the resources that we need. We've got the intellectual resources, the financial resources, the, the, the people resources. We just have to decide we're going to do it. In our community, we need our local mental health provider. We need our hospital. We need our judicial system. We need our law enforcement people. We need our, our school corporation. We need our, our corporate community. Uh, we need our faith community to all come together to address that. And so for me, um, I, I'm all about not just pointing people to the person of Jesus. Sure, I want everybody to know Jesus because I think what he offers, all of us can can benefit from. But um, I want all of us to be able to experience that kind of restoration and recreation that God wants to bring. And even if we don't use God talk in it. So I think that uh, there's an appropriate place for bringing together the faith community and the rest of the community. Because we, as I said, we're in this thing together. Do you see within the church, uh, within the faith communities, uh, both a desire to work together? Is there also a reluctance on the part of some to do so? And and what do you see in, in regard to that? I think that if the people of faith in our community come together, Um, then we are much richer and much stronger. So I don't ever want to put on another church or make them feel guilty because they don't want to play the same role that our church or some other church does. But to simply invite them to say, if you have people who want to be a part of this, uh, bring them on board. That, I think, is the way to go. We extend it to the whole faith community and don't just put it on the clergy. I think we stand a much better chance. I know... When I was pastor, that one of the the temptations, one of the struggles, might for some might also be uh, over spiritualizing mm-hmm. a problem, like starting with the assumption that this is demonic uh, possession, whether it be addiction, mental illness, uh, and what have you seen in that regard, and how how do we overcome that? I have observed uh, some misunderstanding in those areas. I have observed um, in some church settings the belief that these kinds of uh, things with which people struggle, uh, mental illness in particular, um, may very well be a spiritual kind of issue. 
And um, it's my belief that mental illness uh, is uh, a medical, it's a, it's a matter of the body and the mind. It's a part, again, of the brokenness of the world in which we live. It's not because uh, this person was more sinful than the next person. Um, it's because, so why do some of us have uh, kidney disease and some of us have liver disease and some of us have heart disease and some of us have cancer? Um, I don't know. Those aren't spiritual kinds of things. They may affect us in a spiritual way. I think the issues that we live with may uh, affect us by way of uh, what do we think about God, our relationship with God. I think it can spill over into that way, but it's not a spiritual shortcoming. To equate mental illness with um, spiritual or demonic um, oppression is a mistake. And so my experiences have been in working with people who have uh, been diagnosed with a mental illness uh, but may struggle with things that they may think are demonic to uh, address them separately. And I, we had conversation over dinner around that. So one of the questions that I, that I have asked before, when somebody who wonders if they're being attacked spiritually and who have a mental health diagnosis, my first question is, um, are you taking your meds? Because uh, I, I can think, you know, if somebody has been diagnosed with schizophrenia and sometimes um, some of the um, symptoms of that may be to hear things that, that they genuinely hear, but if I were in the room with them, I wouldn't hear it. So are you, uh, are you taking your meds? Well, if no, then that may very well be the, uh, the schizophrenia that's uh, acting and not anything else. So let's encourage them to take their meds, which I know sometimes is a challenge for people. So maybe they're taking their meds, but they're trying to um, self-medicate with alcohol, uh, with marijuana, with something else, because I know for some folks, um, they believe that there's a sense of relief and calm and that comes maybe to their anxiety. Uh, but we also know, medically speaking, that those kinds of things counteract the influence of the medicines that they're taking. So how can we encourage them to take the prescribed meds? And then if it appears that they're, they're taking their meds and doing and all those things, then we might address the spiritual component. Mm -hmm. But I always try to address the mental uh, health component first. And I, I'm not an expert. I mean, I, I know very, very little. But that's the approach I've taken. Why don't we transition into uh, asking the question, what does healing mean to you? I knew you were going to ask that question because you, <laughs> you gave me a heads up ahead of time, and I know that's a question that you ask all of, all of your guests. Um, as I thought about that, I really think of that on different tiers. I think about at least three different levels of healing when I think about that. So on, on one end... Uh, healing for me is is the total complete healing that that the two of you and I will one day experience when we're in the presence of the Lord mm -hmm. face to face um, where there is no more sickness and no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrow I know that uh, when that day comes for me to take my last breath here um, and I wake up uh, I'm going to wake up in the presence of the Lord, not because I was a pastor, not because I tried to be a good guy, uh, but because um, 
of what my Savior has done for me on a mm -hmm. cross, and then the validation of that on, at the empty tomb. And I believe with all my heart that when that day comes, uh, all of us uh, will experience total healing. But that doesn't do us a lot of good right now. I think there's a, another level of healing, and, and frankly, it, it probably doesn't happen all that often, but I, I believe with all my heart that, that the God I worship is a God who is all-powerful. I believe there's nothing that he cannot do. I, I know that he gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and he caused the lame to get up and walk again. Uh, I, I believe that, that, that our God can do all things. And, you know, when I, I think about those whom I love and care for who live with a mental illness, uh, I, I continue to pray that God will bring healing this side of heaven for them. Does he do that kind of healing with that kind of illness very often? Probably not. There may be more than I'm, I'm aware of. Can he? I, I believe that he can. And so I, I pray for that. Uh, I don't hold my breath. I don't get upset if he doesn't. But why would I not pray if I believe that he has the power and authority to do that? Mm -hmm. Another level of healing, as I also think about those who are dear to me, whom I love, who live with... Um, mental illness is an ongoing prayer is that they will be able to live independently because I know for them this is really, really important. Um, they value that independence. I pray that they'll be able to, um, to work and sustain themselves in that way and to be able to carry out their work and thirdly, I pray that they will experience um, some level of joy because, you know, as I observe some folks who live with mental illness, um, in many cases, especially because different meds work different ways, sometimes that level of joy just isn't there. And so my prayer for, for that level of healing, that they can live independently, that they can support themselves and they can have some taste of joy, something to make them smile, something to make them laugh. And, and so I think there are different levels. And, and I'll be very honest with you. When I see um, those who are dear to me, who, uh, when I've seen them, when they really, really struggle, when life is really hard, uh, when they're not able to live independently, when they're not able to work, when they have no joy, um, you know, it's, it's painful, um, not only for them, but for those who love them. So when those times come, when they're able to live on their own and to work and to smile, for me, man, there's a level of healing there. Yes. And it's not complete healing. But, you know, in, in, for those of us who don't live with the mental illness diagnosis, we have areas of brokenness in our lives, too. There are things that are broken in my life. There are things that aren't always right in my life. And so just because somebody who lives with mental illness, you know, may be able to function better, even if they had healing, even if God worked a miracle, they're still going to deal with other struggles in life. And that's true of all of us. Mm -hmm. So 
So for me, those are probably the three levels of healing. And the most down-to-earth, I think, is my prayer for those who are dear to me is what I've, what I've shared. Live independently, support themselves, have some joy. And not everybody can do that. And, and so maybe even a more basic is people can just know that they're loved and valued. I think, I, I'm guessing, I don't know, I'm guessing that there are a lot of folks who live with mental illness who feel very much alone, um, very isolated, um, wonder if anybody understands, uh, maybe don't have people to be their safety net, you mm-hmm. know, when things begin to crumble. Mark, that... The isolation for me is really maybe the most acute problem there is. Mm-hmm. I, I think that isolation is a big part of addiction, and I think that isolation is a big part of depression. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really hard for the church or for a family member or anyone else to understand how to engage the person mm-hmm. who feels isolated. And I don't have any answers for it, but certainly on my heart is a continual prayer that our God will reach into the heart of that person who's feeling isolated. One of the desires I have for our congregation, and we're not there yet, we have a lot of long way to go, is that every person who considers themselves a part of our faith family will have someone, someone with whom to share life, Mm -hmm. to celebrate with them, when something exciting happens, to cry with them when something painful happens, but just someone with whom they can share life. And I think that's what I hear you saying. All of us need someone. And the challenge probably for those who struggle with addiction or uh, mental illness, um, because sometimes they may feel so depressed and there's just not the energy, or why would I? Why would I extend myself? But there's such value and such power in that relationship. I would imagine that the two of you, you know, what the two of you have received from one another, just being there for each other. Sure. To yeah. to vent, to scream, mm-hmm. to cry, to to dream, to laugh. Sometimes a hug, a note, a phone call is. We don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the mm-hmm. answers. You don't have all the answers. But just say to somebody, I care about you. I love. I'm praying for you. Um, invite them to lunch. Um, just make mm-hmm. yourself available. And then if, if they want to reach out to us, fine. But do what you can just to say, I care about you. Um, I have to say, I, I wish that were uh, from the heart of Mark Tyke. It is from the heart of Mark Tyke, but it was learned from Debbie Tyke, yes. uh, who is a licensed clinical social worker and who has an ability, uh, a gifting from God to walk alongside people in the deepest, darkest places of life like nobody I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And Debbie really taught me that, that we need to walk alongside. Any more questions for Mark? I don't have questions. I just am grateful for you coming here. And uh, I know you have such a sincere pastor's heart and that that rubs off into all your relationships. And um, yeah, I can't say enough about what that has meant for me, for our ministry, and uh, how much that will benefit your congregation and their continued service for people with mental illness and their families, their loved ones. Thank you. And I, I want to say how much I appreciate the two of you. Um, this ministry of a podcast, the ministry you do with Faithful Friends, your availability in the community, 
um, you give a voice to uh, what many experience all the time, and you are a, a resource and a gift from God. So thank you to both of you for all that you're doing. Thank you, Pastor Taiki. Yeah. Look forward to many more years to come of ministry together. Another 26? Um, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. So, Tony, uh, Mark Tyke was a great guest in studio. It's always good to have people down here in Studio E to be with us. Absolutely. Just want to reiterate again, St. Peter's is doing great things in the community of Columbus, Indiana, to be at the forefront of uh, faith and mental health. The thing that really astounds me is how much more Mark wants to do. Yeah. He sees many opportunities above and beyond where they're already at. He's mm -hmm. asking if he'd be willing to come in and talk to some of their leadership team mm -hmm. on our perspectives on mental health ministry. Uh, you know, it's a real honor for him to respect our faithful friends ministry mm -hmm. the way he does. So, so thank you, Mark. Continue the good work and anything Tony and I can do to help. Uh, we gladly offer our insight and perspective. Yeah, I think back on an episode we did with Amy Simpson about blessed are the unsatisfied. And, you know, Mark is a pastor, served over 30 years in ministry, and yet he's not one to be satisfied with what he has accomplished. He's consistently looking for more ways to, to serve God in in the community and in in the hearts and minds of his congregation. He's a humble fellow. Yes, he is. So in the spirit of those who are contributing to our community here in Columbus and our mental health ministry of revealing voices, we want to thank those of you who have contributed financially and through your prayers. Um, today, we want to thank Roger Grayson, Sean Pritzkow, and Olivia Morgante. Two of my good friends also, Ben Stilson, one of my longest friendships here in town, really, a fine man, Ben Stilson, and Professor Kevin Lair of, of Iowa. Thank you, Kevin. On our next episode, we're going to welcome to our studio uh, someone that's become a, a, a dear friend in the past four years for me. Um, my podcast partner and co-leader in Faithful Friends, Eric Riddle. Thank you, Tony. It's uh, my, my time to shine. That's right. Episode 7 coming up. And I'll shine the light on you. I have no idea where it'll go, but uh, whatever it is will be good, and the bad parts we can always edit out. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of technology. Yeah. yeah, as I said on uh, our earlier episode with Marie Henning, um, uh, one thing about each of our diagnoses is that they lead us in into different stories, and Eric's story is unique. Um, he is perhaps the only bipolar two person I've known that has worn a banana suit to a city council meeting. <laughs> I have worn a banana suit in public to a uh, leadership Bartholomew County political debate. Yeah. Th there really aren't many moments in my life where I'm like, this is awkward. How did I get here? I don't want to be here. 
But yeah. sitting in that crowded room at uh-huh. a mayoral debate wearing a banana suit, that was awkward. Well, we'll go into that more and learn out the mystery of yeah. what went on in Eric's mind while he was <laughs> dressing yeah. in a banana suit. That's right. I'll share some haikus, too. Okay, that's show. right. That's right. Eric is uh, currently in the midst of 100 days of haikus, and this follows... Uh, a year of haikus. That's right. Daily haikus. So, I, I've got my haikus at home, rolling the haikus, creating haiku. Instagram, hashtag 100 haiku. Be there. There you go. All right. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Sure. Thank you. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. I just smashed a bug. Um, wow. I want our listeners to know that because he, he's this not a, pounding home his, this was his a, point. I think a very large ant. I think it's a stick bug. What, actually, what, what most, what most, what many people it's like don't. Like the Karate Kid over here. What, well, what many people don't know about me is that one time in my life I was a professional killer. Um, when I was in high school, I worked for Nelson's Termite and Pest Control in Decatur, Illinois. And right? so we yeah. took care of things like okay, this. So well, no chemicals needed. We're circling around. I just, yeah, I just we're want you to know. Circling around. But in I your got ministry. you covered. If, if you need any extermination work done in Studio E, you just let me know. Free of charge. I will come and spray for you. <laughs>